0: Neighborhood parks are the focal point of many communities. Kids frolic in playgrounds, people read on shaded benches, or simply meet and converse with their neighbors. Good morning, I'm George Borarchy, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. As part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, this morning we're focusing our attention on neighborhood parks, including the people who help keep them vibrant. People like Lucy Aponte of the Bronx.
1: I'm the arts and cultural programmer for the Friends of Soundview Park. What does
0: this park mean to you?
1: Oh this park is a haven for the community. It's a place where uh, everyone can connect with nature and to present arts and cultural um, activities, events, recreation for the community, uh, a place to get away from the sounds of the city and just be with the birds chirping like they are right now and just under the sky and the trees. It's just beautiful.
0: We are standing this morning along the Bronx River. This park, in addition to being called Soundview Park, is also called the gateway to the Bronx River, right?
1: Yes, it is. It's the gateway to the Bronx River. And um, it's the Bronx River is right in front of me and behind you. And um, you can see the trees on the other side also, and the water just looks so beautiful.
0: When did you start to become actively involved with this park?
1: Well, when I first moved to Soundview Park and uh, I took a tour of the neighborhood and I saw the park and remembered it from my childhood that we used to come by here. My father used to go fishing at the waterfront and for the past 10 years, I have been trying to get things done here because when I first saw it 10 years ago, it was not being used. It was looked neglected and um, really completely unused. Um, but I took a tour. I came inside and walked through it and thought, oh, my God, what could be what, the things that could happen here? You know, theatrical performances, dance, puppet shows, uh, art, you know, have artists come here, poets and writers, and... Um, this is, you know, the, the, the dream come true at this point.
0: What would you say have been among your biggest challenges in working with this park over the years?
1: The biggest challenges have been, um, you know, in, the, in first getting the cleanup done. Right now it's trying to get uh, volunteers to, uh, we have gotten quite a few volunteers, wonderful, uh, um, over 300 volunteers we've had. Um, since last year, but we're looking for more volunteers to come in and join the uh, Friends of Soundview Park. Bring your skills, your talents, bring what you know and you're passionate about. Be passionate about it. Bring it here. And let's, you know, put our heads together and, and let's, uh, you know, plan. And because, you know, everybody has different ideas and, you know, that's, you know, puts a whole lot of things inside the soup and makes it better.
0: When I was seeking out a volunteer to talk to for this show, they said, you have to talk to Lucia Ponte. You just have to talk to Lucia Ponte. Why do you think that's the case?
1: Probably because I hound people all the time. But I have a passion for what I do. When I know that something is possible, it's going to make the community better, I'm just so passionate about it. And I think everyone sees my passion, and they know it's coming from my heart and my soul. It's nothing phony about it. It's, I'm, I'm involved in it. It's, it's, every nerve in me is connected to what I'm doing. So that's probably why I'm, because I knock on doors and I call on phone, you know, and I'm constantly calling. So I get to be known, I guess, <laughs> yeah.
0: Lucy, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, thanks so much for this opportunity. And I appreciate it.
0: Lucy Aponte is the arts and cultural programmer for Friends of Soundview Park. To find out about upcoming events at the park,
1: Friend us on on Facebook. Look for Soundview Park on Facebook.
0: New York City Parks Commissioner Adrian Benepe says people like Lucy make all the difference for neighborhood parks.
2: Everybody knows
1: New York
3: City is a city full of neighborhoods. And what makes a lot of neighborhoods great is the parks. And people will say, well, I live near Central Park. I live near Prospect Park. I live near Soundview Park in the Bronx or
2: Inwood Hill Park or Fort Tryon Park. And, you know, in the bad old days, you didn't want to go into those parks. And over the last 30 years or so, through a lot
3: of initiative from citizens and volunteers, and uh, frankly also the government putting in some money, the parks are in a lot better shape. But um, times are tough now. Budget isn't what we'd like it to be. So we really need the friends and neighbors to, to come out.
0: We caught up with the Parks Commissioner at Fort Tryon Park in Upper Manhattan during It's My Park Day last month. There, we also talked with volunteers who took time out of their day to plant, paint, and to clear debris.
4: I'm Helga Smith, I live in the neighborhood, and this has been my park for 40 years, so it's only natural that I'm here whenever I have a chance to do so. My name is May. Last name is Sunny Wong. I'm here today because um, actually it's my birthday this week. So we decided to ask our friends and family to come join us today to help and give back to the earth and you know Mother Nature. So we could do something good for our birthday for once, and then you know maybe in the future we could see a um, brighter future for the, like the next generation. My name is Elaine Mason. And I'm here with my son, Milo, who's four and a half and loves to dig, and city kids don't get much of a chance to be out in nature and getting their hands dirty, so this is a wonderful opportunity for us, and we're really grateful to be here
0: volunteers getting it done in Fort Tryon Park in Upper Manhattan. While planning the show, we put out a call asking New Yorkers to share their memories of their neighborhood parks. Here's one with more to come throughout the program.
5: My name is Richard Cohn, and I'm from Brooklyn, and I live in Brooklyn, was born in Brooklyn. The story I'd like to relate is uh, regarding uh, Prospect Park, which I've lived on one side or the other most of my life, not everyone knows that part of the Battle of Long Island was fought in Prospect Park and the surrounding areas, and Washington's uh, Continental Army uh, retreated down what we call the slope to uh, the area by the Gowanus Canal by 3rd Street, and although they lost the battle, um, it's considered a textbook retreat because he was able to save his army And they went across to Manhattan and then uh, spent that winter in Valley Forge. But because this was such an important event in American history, um, there are some markers and plaques in Prospect Park showing the battle pass and some of the route that the British and Hessian mercenaries took uh, to try and surround and cut off Washington's Continental Army. And because of this history, from time to time, enactors... Come to the park to reenact the Battle of Long Island, and these reenactors come from all over the East Coast. They dress in period costumes with with uh, period weapons and uh, muskets and bayonets and uh, they 're all dressed with the uh, appropriate uh, or or inappropriate but pretty appropriate costumes it 's amazing when you 've got hundreds of people dressed up like that but the the thing that is the root of my story is that after they did that one year in particular, a lot of these fellows dressed in uniforms of the Continental Army um, who came from different parts of the East Coast, from Pennsylvania, Connecticut, afterwards they're all looking for their cars and they're lost just outside of Prospect Park and there's all these people in Revolutionary War military garb looking up the streets and down the streets, can't find their cars. So it's just sort of a a surreal experience that particular year when they reenacted the Battle of Long Island in Prospect Park.
0: You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. This morning, we're focusing our attention on neighborhood parks as part of WFUV's latest Strike Accord campaign. Here in New York City, the group New Yorkers for Parks is committed to making sure all five boroughs have open spaces that are clean, safe, and vibrant. I recently chatted with the organization's executive director, Holly Light, at a park in Manhattan. When we were deciding on a place to meet, you said, please meet me at Stuyvesant Square Park on Manhattan's Lower East Side. It's one of my favorites. Why is this one of your favorite parks?
3: I used to live on 19th and 2nd, so about a block and a half away, and this was my local park where I would come and sit, read the paper on Sunday mornings, and just spent a lot of time here. Now I live in Murray Hill, and I don't have a local park, and it's really hitting home how much I miss having a park that's, you know, just a stone's throw away that sort of becomes your backyard.
0: How important are parks like this? Obviously a park like this is very important to you. I think
3: parks are absolutely essential particularly in urban settings where most people don't have access to open space backyards or sort of suburban settings and so you know particularly for kids growing up in the city their local park becomes their backyard where they go to play they learn to ride their bikes they hang out and also for elderly people when you walk through parks in the middle of the day it's amazing the diversity of people you see using them at all
0: times even at this early hour of the morning people are using the park there are a couple of women over there chatting drinking coffee absolutely you, you almost never walk through a park
3: and don't see somebody enjoying it
0: and one other thing that we will notice in this park this morning is that people will not be smoking a new law how big of a deal is that
3: It's a very big deal, and and it's definitely created some controversy, but um, overall, we've heard more positive feedback than negative feedback, um, particularly given that so many people do come to parks with kids and babies, and health is really a big issue on people's minds now, and in fact... Some of the work we've been doing recently, um, we do a lot of research and we're looking at the connections between childhood obesity and um, open space access. Uh, We're doing a study with Mount Sinai and I up in East Harlem looking at 300 kids that they've been following for eight years on all kinds of different health indicators and one of the things we're finding is that childhood obesity really does get effect, is affected by access to open space and recreational opportunities.
0: I know that last year you launched something called the Open Space Index to help neighborhoods get a better read on what they may need in a park, right?
3: Exactly, and the East Harlem study is, is one of the uh, open space indexes we're doing. It looks at 15 different components of open space, looking at uh, maintenance issues, the quality of the open space, the environmental sustainability elements, and it assesses them against targets, sort of the ideal target for an urban neighborhood. And we've now done two. We did the Lower East Side and Jackson Heights and Queens, and now we're working on East Harlem. And what we want to do when we've done a number of these is look at comparisons across neighborhoods. You know, does income level of neighborhoods affect some of these open space indexes? And uh, you know, our, our sense is that it probably will be correlated not just between health and proximity, but also to, to poverty level.
0: What would you say are among the biggest threats to neighborhood parks?
3: I think the biggest threat right now that we're looking at is concern about maintenance funding. Um, With all the budget cuts and the current economic situation, this has really affected the the staff um, and the ability to maintain the vast park system we have. And it's, it's a concern because right now we're seeing a lot of new kind of rock star parks like Brooklyn Bridge Park, Governor's Island coming around and those are great but they're also a mandate from the city that those have to be self-sustaining. So that's fine for those new parks but what do you do about all of the parks in all of the different parts of the city that are here and that people rely on and how do we make sure that those have the same high level of quality maintenance and care that these new parks are getting?
0: Are there any innovative approaches you think the city can take to raise funds for neighborhood parks outside of the city budget?
3: This is actually one of our big focuses uh, in the next couple years. We did a study last year, really a survey of alternate revenue sources and funding um, mechanisms that really kind of looked at places all over the country and how they're doing it, including some, some innovative things that have been done here in New York The issue definitely is that a lot of those work better in wealthier neighborhoods. You know, a park improvement district or something along the lines of Bryant Park. um, That works when you have businesses and there's money that can be put into it. Brooklyn Bridge Park, they're going to have a maintenance fund based on housing there. So the big question for us and the one we're really interested in, and I believe we'll find some interesting answers to, is so what do you do where you don't have a business base or luxury housing around it? Are there ways to create... Um, mechanisms outside the city budget even in those neighborhoods and we're launching a number of studies uh, this year to start looking at that and uh, look forward next year to having some good answers.
0: Do you think that New Yorkers would be willing to pay a park tax?
3: New Yorkers never like to pay taxes but I think that has to be on the table is something to think about Um, and, and we're really willing to look at kind of. All kinds of different mechanisms, including um, the concession agreements and the public-private partnerships that exist now. There's a lot of conservancies for for some of our sort of bigger, uh, more prominent parks. But how do you make sure that the money that's in the system stays in the system and is equitably distributed so that all the parks are benefiting from that?
0: I know that your organization is really one of the only organizations of its kind providing crime data for New York City parks. How safe are the parks today?
3: It's still a little early to draw definitive conclusions um, because the, the, the PD actually did not collect crime data and pinpoint it into parks until very recently when some legislation required it. Um, so, so far they've only been tracking 30 parks, and it is hard with that small of a sampling to know. So what we're focused on now is trying to push the PD to continue expanding the number of parks. Uh, the next benchmark is 100 parks, and then eventually they're supposed to be tracking all the parks. It really will be difficult to, to draw conclusions until that sampling gets larger. What we have seen in the data we have so far, which is going to go on our website um, in the next month, is, is, looks pretty good, actually, for safety in parks. But, again, that's, that's a very small sampling.
0: What would you say has been the biggest success of your organization, New Yorkers for Parks?
3: Well, when you're a hundred-year-old organization, there's there's a lot of history there. I think so, some of the big uh, big points uh, in our past, one was in the 30s, actually, um, at Orchard Beach. There were private bungalows at Orchard Beach, which is hard to imagine now. And New Yorkers for Parks, which was a different iteration of itself then, uh, led to fight with, uh, against Robert Moses to have those removed and, and to ensure that there was full public access there. So that was one of our past victories. More recently, we were very active in the suit against the city at Van Cortlandt Park. Uh, when the wa- water filtration plant was built there, uh, we were part of a lawsuit about alienation to ensure that there was proper mitigation uh, when, that, when that plant was built in a park. And in fact, there did end up being a settlement agreement that, where the city put a, a significant amount of money into the park for improvements.
0: I know when it comes to flowers, the daffodil is especially important to New Yorkers for Parks. What's the story there?
3: Um, at, right after 9-11, uh, our then board chair, Lyndon Miller, who's really a legend in, in landscape architecture wanted to start a living memorial, both to remember those lost on 9-11, but also to bring hope back to the neighborhoods of New York. And uh, she found a a supplier of daffodil bulbs in Holland that was willing to donate a large number, hundreds of thousands of bulbs, uh, to New York City at that time. And for the past 10 years, we've continued this project so at this point it's a totally volunteer basis uh, planting and in all five boroughs we have over four million daffodils now blooming each spring thanks to this effort
0: okay is there anything else about new yorkers for parks or neighborhood parks that you think we should talk about that we haven't touched upon
3: i think the big message really is just the importance of everyone all new yorkers in all neighborhoods having equal access to quality parks Um, we can't. It's not enough just to have a beautiful central park or to have Brooklyn Bridge Park. We have to really be thinking about neighborhood parks throughout the city. Um, those are the ones, like, like this park has been to me, those are the ones that people really see as their own parks. Um, and those are as important in many ways as the sort of jewels of the park system.
0: And let me point out, as it gets hotter this summer, come to Stuyvesant Square. <laughs> what shade we have here right now.
3: This is a real gem. I love this one. I'm not sure. I I may regret having said that publicly now.
0: (laughs) Holly, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Holly Light is the executive director of New Yorkers for Parks. The group is online at ny4p.org.
6: My name is Richard Pothig, and I now live in Hyde Park, Chicago. My memories of the parks in New York go back to the Depression years, We lived in Yorkville on 1st Avenue between 80th and 81st Streets on the east side of Manhattan. My earliest memory of uh, a city park was when I was five or six years old. We lived in an old law tenement on 1st Avenue, and all around us people were being evicted from their tenement apartments. My dad, a factory worker in Long Island City, on uh, one Saturday afternoon took me on a walk across in late fall to uh, to Central Park. probably it was in nineteen thirty 1930 or nineteen thirty one at the height of the depression. We walked over to central park and, and the weather was getting cold, and in the midst of the rock overhangs and along the walls, people had built shacks out of whatever material they could find. They were called Hoovervilles at that time. Some of them had made little fires over which they were cooking food and keeping themselves warm. It's a memory I've carried with me my entire life. It, it has shaped my views even into my professional life, even since those years.
0: New York is a city of immigrants, and some groups want to make sure neighborhood parks are reflective of that diversity. Reporter Sarah Reynolds tells us more.
7: Fanny Monte Alegre loves her park. Here in the park, Traverse Park is the community of Jackson Heights. In Alegre's neighborhood of Jackson Heights, Queens, Traverse Park is basically the only park around. It's one square block with a giant basketball court, a handball wall, and a couple of playgrounds with monkey bars and slides. Allegina immigrated to Jackson Heights from Columbia in 1998, and has always brought her grandkids to play in this park. But recently, she's become even more involved, and not just with the park, but with her community. In 2007, Partnership for Parks, a hybrid organization run by the City Parks Department and the nonprofit City Parks Foundation, teamed up with the New York Immigration Coalition to bring immigrants and parks together. They call it the Immigrants and Parks Collaborative. The Collaborative's intent is to ensure that the city's open spaces are democratic, relevant, and representative of what the neighborhood wants and needs. The Collaborative worked with parks in eight communities around the city to help them reach out to immigrants in their neighborhoods. In Jackson Heights, Queens Community House, a social service organization, began to work with the Friends of Traverse Park, a seasoned, all-volunteer park advocacy group to connect with the neighborhood's diverse immigrant population. We kind of know mutually that we can call on each other for support for different community activities or needs, you know, within the community, so that, that basis is there. That's Anna Diaguardi. She's the director of community organizing and community development at Queens Community House. She says it's not only helped the friends of Traverse Park connect with the rest of their neighborhood, it's also helped the immigrant community become more engaged. Take Fanny Montalegre. She says it's made her feel like the park is hers too. Not only that, she's meeting neighbors she's never met in the 10 years she's lived there.
1: And she's been able
7: to meet different kinds he of
1: people.
7: Alegre says she feels good about being involved, because her grandson can share with other kids from other cultures, and this can help him in the future. Now the Friends of Travers Park hold some of their meetings in Bengali and Spanish, as well as English. And in the last few years, the collaboration between the two community groups has resulted in neighborhood recycling campaigns, book exchanges in the park, closing the neighboring street to traffic for a couple of months in the summer as well as the Green Agenda, a neighborhood-wide initiative to make their community more environmentally sustainable. Both groups are thrilled and say they've been able to increase and diversify civic engagement in their neighborhood. The New York Immigration Coalition says that Traverse Park has also become a source of empowerment for immigrants in the community as a result of this collaborative work. Some use the park as a political campaign to rally around, some use it for cultural programming, and many find it useful for kids' daycare. Anna Diaguardi of Queens Community House says the Immigrants and Parks Collaborative has helped build bridges within Jackson Heights by rallying around something everybody needs but doesn't always have in New York City, open space. For a lot of people here, it's the, the only way to, to get out and have the kids um, be able to run and play, and it's free. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really important. It's a pretty small urban park, but it's, it's our park. For WFUV, I'm Sarah Reynolds. Hi, my name is Lucy Norris. I lived in New York
2: City from 1998 to 2004. I came to New York to go to school at NYU, and I now live in Seattle, Washington. My park memory is uh, around Central Park, actually. I did a lot of running when I was in New York City, and the Central Park continues to be one of my happy places uh, most memorable uh, occasion was in my first marathon in 2003. It was the year that I finished grad school as well as uh, published my first book. And the marathon in November was Icing on the Cake. As I entered uh, Engineer's Gate, which many runners call Runner's Gate, uh, after running the majority of the the 26 miles entering back into the park, uh, I saw my partner Jason, his two coworkers, and my friend who and previous year had inspired me to run and, and train for my first marathon. And that uh, place, every time I go back to New York for a visit or for business or to visit friends, I go to that place and sit and, and people watch and look at runners and even run the park when I can. And it uh, provides a lot of uh, pride in my life, and being in that park is, is just continues to be a very happy place for me.
0: For a lot of people, parks and fitness go hand-in-hand. Nancy Bruning knows that very well. She's the fitness coordinator at Fort Tryon Park in Upper Manhattan. Cityscapes Andrea McCreary talked with Bruning about how parks are a great alternative to a gym membership.
4: So how important are parks for exercising? Parks are unbelievably important for exercising. As you probably know, we have this huge issue with people not exercising enough of all ages, children and adults. We sometimes think of parks mostly for children and playgrounds, but there's so much more that uh, adults can do. What are they doing while the kids are out playing? Are they sitting on the couch flicking with their remote or at their computers and saying, go out and play, go out and play? That's not a very good role model, right? So, and it's also not very healthy for them. So, why not have everybody come out into the park and have it be a family affair or a couples affair? So, uh, in Fort Tryon Park, we have a lot of. Organized programs that occur weekly on a weekly basis. We have Tai Chi, we have Qigong, we have yoga, we have a dance exercise program coming up uh, the, for, uh, for all of June on Saturday afternoons. Um, we have the fitness walking, fitness al fresco, fitness walking that occurs three times a week. And um, if anybody wants any information about this, it's on our website, www.forttriumphparktrust.org So what are some exercises that people might not think of that they could do in a park? Well, of course, everybody thinks of walking. That's a no-brainer. But what I uh, am really interested in these days is trying to help people use what's already in the park. I know there's a lot of... Uh, information and a lot of interest in putting uh, exercise equipment in parks for adults, which is a great idea if people will use them. Um, But there's no need for that really. I did a video called 101 Things to Do on a Park Bench, and that's no lie. Uh, There are 101 different exercises you can do, and I actually had to leave some out. There are more than 101. Uh, So just basic push-ups, plank position from yoga. There's a lot of Pilates that can be done with balance for your abdominals and your core work. Uh, There's leg work. You can, especially if people have trouble uh, balancing on their own, they can just lean on the bench with their hands and do all their leg work that way. Uh, So uh, from stretching to uh, upper body work to abdominal work to leg work, balancing, you can do it all in the park and you can do it just using a park bench and you don't really need any equipment, of course, and you don't need to be wearing gym clothes. You can just be coming home from work and just, oh, I think I'll take five minutes in the park to, uh, to just do some push-ups. And then your upper body work is done. All right, is there anything else you'd like to add? The other thing that I think is not that recognized is the importance of being outdoors and being in nature and yes it's free yes it's convenient those are all great things yes it's you know non-threatening for people a lot of people are oh my god a health club or a gym and spandex and all that scary stuff but um, going to the park really isn't that scary but it's also got some extra health benefits I'm actually a public health professional so I've studied the benefits of being in nature and being in a reasonable amount of sunlight, and there are definite things that are going on in the body uh, that you won't find going on in the gym. Like what? Well, it's been proven, for instance, that um, if you exercise outdoors, that your blood pressure drops even lower than if you're exercising in a gym. They've done studies in England that have proved that. And then there's a whole slew of studies with both with children and with adults that show uh, taking a break in nature or playing in nature uh, will actually improve your academic performance or your cognitive ability. And for kids, of course, this is really important. And for adults, especially as we get older and, you know, with these days of uh, technological overload, uh, everybody's having trouble (laughs) remembering things and, and keeping things so it's just it's a great way of um, just giving your mind a break it's very restorative and we all need that especially living in New York City we just need that quiet time or that moment when we're not glued to the computer and there are computer exercises but um, but there's a real plus to going outside and that's another secret to not overeating is get out of the house (laughs) all right well thank you so much thank you
0: that was Cityscape's Andrea McCreary talking with Nancy Bruning, the fitness coordinator at Fort Tryon Park in Upper Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. For more information on WfuV's Strike Accord campaign for neighborhood parks, visit wfuv.org/strikeaccord. I'm George Boraki. My thanks to senior producer Andrea McCreary and producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend. Going to the park to play outside today. If you come to the park, this is what we'll play We'll play on the slide We'll play on the swing